Well, hello and welcome to Finding Our Way, our Southridge Church member podcast designed to give people the inside scoop on life in our church. Here's our host and lead pastor, Jeff Lockyer. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way. Uh, I'm really excited today because uh, in the course of becoming a leader's village, you get to meet some great people. And a couple of years ago, I got to meet uh, someone who's now become a good friend uh, all the way from the West Coast in California. Not sunny California today, but California nonetheless. Uh, my buddy, Mike Goldsworthy. Mike, say hi to everybody. Hey, 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 Jeff. It's really good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Your audio is like so perfect. You can tell you're like a pro podcaster. So thanks. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, before we dive into all the cool stuff that I, I want to talk about today, uh, just give all of us, especially those of us listening up here in Canada, uh, just kind of the Coles notes about yourself, where you're from, your background, what you're up to these days, that kind of stuff. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. And I, I have actually family up in Canada. So, you know, I'm familiar with a and bags of milk like that's that's yeah. about what i know uh i grew up i grew up in southern california i've been here my entire life and i grew up as a church kid i grew up in this small church about 100 people my youth group was the same like five eight kids all the way through junior high and high school and uh in college i was gonna be an architect and was kind of pursuing that for a couple of years i had this encounter in the midst of that where I felt a very distinct call into ministry and kind of shifted courses, uh, ended up changing schools, went uh, down that path and ended up uh, ended up at a school where I graduated with a degree in ministry, then went off and went actually on staff at a church where I was at for 19 years. It was my first full-time church job. I'd worked at several churches, but my first full-time church job, and I changed roles uh, three or four different times. And eventually became the lead pastor there. And uh, yeah, I met my wife, Allison, while I was in college. We got married. We got married. We've been married now for uh, 21 years. And we got married, went on our honeymoon. Two weeks later, started at this church. And so like our whole our whole sort of like adult life together has been lived in this space. I'm in, in Long Beach, California now. And that's that's where that church was at. Yeah, we feel bad that you live in Long Beach. That's uh, that's really too bad. Somebody's got to do it. I know. Yeah, that that that's great. Were you were you and Allison married in two thousand? We were. So Becky and I were married in two thousand. It makes it super easy to know how many years you've been married. It's so helpful, right? Yeah. <laughs> what month are you guys? May. Okay, we're August. So you got a few months on us. So you're 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 elders to look yes, up to I'm for a marital advice. Veteran of, of marital advice for you. Oh, that's great. And uh, what else do you want to tell us about this 19 year run? Because uh, I mean, we'll get into it uh, sure. later. But it, it sounds like for those of us listening at Southridge, when you say, "Oh, I played a few roles," I mean, we move people around all over the all over the place in our organization, and often promote from within. And so people they kind of. You know, they, they get involved and then they discover that, oh, they want a different opportunity and they kind of maneuver around. It's it's cool to watch. So I hope that was fun I, for you as well. I love that. It You know, it was. And we weren't that mobile of an organization in the same way that you all are. And so um, our experience was different. Like that wasn't normative at our church to be shifting roles around and to, to do different things. So I was kind of a, I was a bit of an outlier for us. Okay. Um, I, I want to get into... <laughs> 
the stuff you're into today, which I think is super cool. And I want both our members and leaders listening to, to catch a glimpse of this, but kind of as the, the backdrop or the, the context for that, um, can you walk us through a little bit more of your, just your personal faith journey? And, you know, even as a leader in this church for 19 years, because I know that the, the, the ministry kids background, growing up in the small church environment, being in ministry for 19 years, I mean, that's all, you know, super important to your story. But talk about your own kind of faith understanding in that era and how it evolved. Yeah. So uh, the church that I grew up in, I come out of a movement, it's called the Restoration Movement branched three different kinds of, of churches came out of it. The Disciples of Christ is a denomination, then the Church of Christ non-instrumental. And then I grew up in the third part of it, which was the non-denominational independent Christian church. And the whole thing of the Restoration Church was we're reclaiming the Acts 2 church. Like we were the original folks saying that started in the 1800s, uh, anti-denominational movement that said like, we're, we can be about what unites us more than what divides us. And that was really kind of the impetus of it. But one of the things I didn't realize growing up in that is that a lot of our churches, and certainly the one that I was a part of, have a bit of a fundamentalist bent to it. And so like that was that was undergirding the water that I kind of grew up in. Things where like, I don't know if you all in Canada had um, influence from like Ken Ham, who uh, would teach about creation and evolution. He was all over for us in America, still is a little bit in some circles, but like we would watch his videos in my youth ministry growing up that essentially said, if you don't believe the earth is 6,000 years old, you don't believe the Bible's true. Um, so like I grew up within that, but like wonderful, good people who cared for me well, who like were like extended family to me, um, who like really in a lot of ways, like ushered me into like trying to understand the love of Jesus and, and faith. Um, but what began happening for me, just like anybody else, like as I began to learn and grow and change, like m the sort of belief structure that I had also began to like grow and change and flex along with that for things like, like I kind of say, um, I have an orientation towards growth and learning. And for me, it's like, if I have a new experience, it forces me to rethink some things, or if I learn something new, it forces me to rethink some things. And so, of course, like you're having those as you grow and develop. And so I would have things like the church that I interned at when I was in college had some women, they didn't fully affirm women in all roles in ministry, but there were some strong female leaders that I had never experienced before in my church experience. So like they gave more room for women than what my background had been. And so that began to challenge the way that I viewed, like, and I had to go ask new questions of the text, which then like caused me to go further than where that was. So like things just kind of along the way just kept shifting and growing and changing new experiences, new learnings. And, and I would say even like expanding. Obviously the buzzword in church circles these days is deconstruction. Yeah. Uh, comment on that just in your own life how how real would that be for you or would you choose to use a different word yeah so i i use different language i mean i use that word sometimes because it's kind of the um the colloquial term that's being used uh so i'll say two things well i'll probably say more than two things but i'll talk about it at two levels maybe the first is like kind of the non-personal observational kind of level 
I actually think that one of one of my issues with using that word is I think it's too destructive of a word to describe what is actually happening. And what's happening is something that should be normative and has always been normative for people's faith experiences. But because the church, um, I should say the evangelical church, my experience, the evangelical church in America has has kind of shifted in a way where it doesn't allow for that normative growth and expansion and evolution of your faith, that what's happened is it's felt incredibly destructive to people. And so we use a word to describe something that shouldn't be that destructive um, in a way that makes it much more destructive than it actually is. Does that, does that make sense? terrifically articulated? Yeah. Okay. My, my version is that, you know, a life of following Jesus isn't static. There's yeah. both salvation and sanctification and sanctification. I've heard people describe as being born again, again, and again, again, and so again, and again. Yeah. There, there are layers of, you know, shedding understanding, gaining new understanding and feeling almost the embarrassment of, oh, before I probably wasn't even a Christian because of what I now <laughs> understand. Like, how many times uh, does Jesus invite us into that experience? And yet for some people, I feel like who've maybe never had that experience, the first time they have that experience, it's so shocking to their spiritual system that the house of cards comes crashing down and a word like deconstruction or demolition is maybe sure. more appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. I like to use faith evolution because I think our faith is always evolving. It's That's growing, right. it's changing, it's expanding. Um, and I think one of the things, one of the things that has been true for me is that like in the same way that, that when I was younger, I understood things in a certain way because it made sense for me at that age. And so I needed to understand things in that way. But then as I grew, like then there was more complexity. I understood what was behind that a bit more. And it wasn't that my views were wrong before. It was that that's what I needed for that age. And I think the same thing is true in, in sort of like my experience. And I would say actually in the, in the literature it's been done and research has been done on this bears us out to be true largely across the board is that we go through stages of development in our faith and it's not that the earlier stages were bad or wrong when we get to latter stages. We actually needed those uh, in order to get to the latter stages. But the church has often created a construct, I would argue, that like kind of keeps us trapped in a sort of like spiritual adolescence. Uh, and, and so as a result of that, it, when you start to push beyond that, the church doesn't really know what to do with you. And so, yeah, it feels it can feel a bit destructive and it doesn't need to actually be destructive. Yeah. Especially when those earlier stages are synonymous with a higher degree of dependence on and engagement in the programming of a local church and the latter stages have a greater degree of independence and maybe feeding back into the lifeblood of a local church. Your, your relationship with the church changes as you evolve through those stages of adolescence and maturity spiritually. Yeah, I think that that's definitely true. I think, yeah, what your needs are, are definitely different. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we could talk about so many things, but like the... Um, the, one of the overarching themes I think throughout the scriptures is of death and resurrection, of of things dying in order for something new to be born. And we can bear that out in all kinds of ways. And Jesus would 
even say, right, like unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and die, it can't produce many seeds. So there's a constant experience in the life of faith of things that I need to die to in order for something new to be born. And so there are things that I've carried with me that were new things at one time for me in my faith that I have to die to, but not just in my faith. Like even when, when we start moving it like beneath the surface, there starts to be things of like my ego and the way that my ego creates a false image of myself that I have been living into that I have to sort of like uncover and I have to die to that false image of myself. I have to die to the things that have created security at that stage of my life. And every time I do that, like there's no new life without the death of those things, but yeah, it's painful, identity, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, related to that, you know, you're, 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 you're on a journey of, of evolving faith. Um, these days, uh, you, you're not in a formal ministry position in the context of a single local church. Right. So after a 19 year run and, and other experiences, um, describe how that came to be. Yeah. So I ended up in the leadership role. I ended up as the lead pastor of my church after I'd been there for a little while, like I mentioned, and it was a mega church. I, I became the lead pastor of a mega church at 29 years old, which was just dumb on so many levels, but I thought it was smart, right? Like as a 29 year old that I was like, this is brilliant. And look at how amazing I am doing this. And as a result of that, um, one of the things I say is like, I had no idea what I was doing. And it was like, I got thrown into the deep end of a pool and didn't know how to swim. And there's a lot of really good, well-meaning people who are all standing around the pool and they're all cheering me on. Like they're all for me, but nobody was jumping in the pool with me and helping me swim. Mm -hmm. And so like that took its toll on me over the years. Mm -hmm. It's took its toll in a lot of different ways. Um, and then along with that, at 29 years old, like I'm still maturing in a lot of ways. So I was still growing in ways that for a church that was, our church was a bit older. I think they're around, I think it's celebrating its 70th year right now. So for a church that's a bit older, that had a high value of stability, not only does my personality not lean towards stability, I was at an age that didn't lean towards stability. Mm -hmm. So all of that started taking its toll on me and on the church in different ways over the years. And so I led it for 11 years and it kind of hit this point where it was like um, uh, the church, I would say the collective consciousness of a lot of the church was frustrated because I wasn't the kind of pastor they wanted me to be. They had this picture of what a pastor should be, of what kind of, uh, our previous pastor is a wonderful man, was a very different kind of pastor than I was. And that was still like residually there. And at the same time, I was growing increasingly anxious because I didn't feel like I could let myself show up as my full self that I had to project a certain kind of image and be perceived in a certain kind of way in order for the church to create space for me to be able to lead. And so it was creating a sort of like inner anxiety within me. And uh, all along the way, and this is one of the ways that you and I connected, I never could figure out where I fit in the church world. So I would, I would go to the different conferences, the different gatherings, the different spaces for church leaders, and would always be like, oh, these aren't my people. These aren't my people. These aren't my people. But I would meet people along the way, folks like you, folks like different, like our mutual friend, Michael Hidalgo, who I think is who originally introduced us. And uh, the folks that I would meet along the way would often say like, 
I feel like I'm all alone in what I'm doing. I feel like there's nobody else doing this. And so like we would have this sort of like commonality of like, we don't really know where we fit in the church world. And so I began to have this resonance with this, this space where I didn't know where I fit and had this um, increasing chasm of, of church expectations and my own anxiety of not being able to sort of like meet those expectations, I guess. And so it's interesting in the narrative where you mentioned Micah Hidalgo. So I get introduced to this guy kind of in a cold call. We have a conversation kind of comparing notes of our churches, very similar journeys, very similar churches, kindred spirits right away. And he says, hey, I've got a buddy that's pulling these cluster groups together of church leaders like us that are trying to lead the kind of churches we're kind of, we're trying to lead. Do you want to be part of one? I'm like, yeah, sure. So he introduced me to you and uh, we started into one of these cohorts and I, I like, I had no idea what I was getting into, but uh, I, I remember at the beginning you were kind of framing it as the, this, this cluster of the ecclesiologically homeless. Yep. And I, I didn't know if I was homeless. I actually said, I don't really feel that disconnected. I feel you know, pretty connected, but maybe we're, maybe we're one of a kind. I don't know. <laughs> maybe I should feel lonelier than I, that I do. <laughs> Regardless, I connected into this group that you had uh, facilitate that you were facilitating with just a, a, a beautiful community of people. And we had, what was it? A two year run uh, that we connected with some regularity and uh, really shared uh, some great space together. And I loved that you facilitated that only to realize that this was kind of becoming your thing, that you were you were starting to facilitate, facilitate a bunch of these clusters. So what was what was driving that outside of your own personal need to say, I need to find my people? Yeah, well, it was I, I was seeing something new birthed in the church Um. And I was very attracted to the new thing that was that I was seeing being birthed in the church at large. And I think that your experience, you were the most the person who felt most connected still, I think, of everybody in the groups I was leading at that time. And so I think your experience is a bit of an anomaly for a lot of us. Um, and I don't know, maybe I'd be interested if like that's a, maybe a uniqueness of kind of the Canadian context or not. Um, but people were feeling disconnected and I felt like, gosh, this kind of work can only happen when you feel like there are other people who you are linking arms with, that the basis of all this stuff is relationship. And we need to like learn how like new kinds of resources. We need to learn new kinds of strategies. We need to like figure that kind of stuff out. But at the bedrock of all of that is relationship. And we're going to learn from each other and all that, but it's got to, so it was just trying to figure out how do we build some containers to help church leaders who feel a bit homeless to feel a little bit less homeless and um, connected. And you're right. There was a lot more once we got into the the kind of soul of the group. There there was a lot more aloneness, uh, even rejection, yeah. isolation in, in some of these people's church experiences flowing out of their personal faith evolution. They didn't fit anymore. Um which, which at some level would be a little bit different from where I was coming in, but I, I love being part of this group. And I, I guess what I observed again, and this is really the, 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 the bottom line point for our members listening and for, for the leaders who track with, with these conversations, you know, we talk about community preceding ministry. 
And we talk about life change happening best in relationship. And, you know, here I am a stranger in a strange land <laughs> with uh, people that I'd never known before. And it was, it was really quite beautiful, incredible to watch mm. how quickly the spirit of God could connect us and utilize us to resource each other and others. And, and I know that not only in the cluster that I got to participate in, but in so many other clusters and then in other events that you were holding and convening, like you got to watch the wonder of life change happening best in relationship, which is why I tell everybody that leadership development ought to happen best in relationship as mm. opposed to books, conferences, whatever, because leadership development is just life change to a certain audience of person. And so describe, you know, tell a story or two of, of what you've experienced in these clusters and maybe some of the things that you, you did beyond just the clusters. I know you had that event in Indiana sure. and uh, like this thing was, it was taken off. Yeah, well, really, what's begun to happen is um, out of those, like folks know each other. And so there are, I constantly will hear stories of people who are calling each other to fit to like work through an issue or a problem, right? Like, what begins to happen, and I think this is the beauty of something like this is I become unnecessary, because I facilitated relationships getting formed. And then I get to like, I'm not necessary there anymore because that web of relationships has been built. And so it's going to be a stronger bond because they don't need to go through me. They don't need the regular meeting, right? They don't need that. They're, they're self-initiating for figuring stuff out together. Um, so this gathering that happened, this was, there's this church out in South Bend and they were helping me raise some support to, to facilitate me doing this work. They had raised some support and they got a grant organization to match some of that, which necessitated under the auspices of the grant me to do some work specifically at their church. And so as we were working through what I would do when I was there, that they said like, hey, would you, they're one of these churches that were doing incredible things, but felt all alone. And so I said, would you, on the last visit that you come out to spend time with us, would you bring out a few other pastors who like would resonate with us and with what we're doing? for our staff to meet, for us to not feel so alone, for us to see the wider landscape of what God's doing in the church and new things that are being birthed. So we said like, yeah. And, and I thought like, well, what if I was going to bring three or four folks? And I was like, well, what if we opened it up to some more people? And we made it just a little bit public. I was thinking about the the groups that we had put together and thought like maybe some of those folks would want to come out. And I thought it'd be great if we could have 20 pastors, church leaders sort of like show up, sit around some tables and have a few people provoke questions to end up uh, spur us on a conversation. That ends up becoming um, 120 people who end up showing up, coming from all over the U.S. Um, we got covered on the front page of the Washington Post, which was crazy, uh, all sorts of things. And um, one of my favorite stories that came out of that was a guy who walked into the lobby of the church that we were meeting at in the very first morning, sees all these people. And he just starts weeping and he says, I had no idea there were so many of us. And that was the sort of like this feeling like, oh, I'm not actually alone. There's a lot of other people who are trying to do this same kind of work, seeing something new being birthed in the church. And I don't have to keep doing it alone. Yeah, it was really amazing. And I know in our in our cluster that that testimony 
uh, was shared a number of times from people. Mm-hmm. And, and we had some really sacred moments that were, you know, kind of deep into the heart and psyche of, of these individual leaders. And I guess that's where I'd want to maybe land this conversation, Mike, because there's so many of us from our local church that are in evolving faith journeys, however mm-hmm. we want to label them. And it, for most of us leaders listening, you know, our faith and our thinking even of leadership and what the church is, especially coming out of COVID, we know that the church of 2022 and beyond cannot be the church of 2019 and before. Mm-hmm. So like there's a lot of kind of going back to zero and reimagining happening, I, I guess, both from the perspective of a local church member and from the perspective of a, a, a local church or a ministry leader listening, you know, what would you say to that person whose faith is evolving and is finding themselves unsure of whether what they're starting to understand about following Jesus fits in the container that they're currently finding themselves in? Yeah. Yeah. So when you hit that point, you tend to hit that point for one of two reasons. It's either because the your experience of faith, the way that it has worked for you, no longer works anymore. That something doesn't like fit and work. That what the experience of church was doesn't work for you anymore, however you might define that. The way you're praying doesn't work for you, however you might define that. Or what you understood doesn't make sense anymore. So, you know, you, uh, the number of people that have for instance, grown up with a belief that the earth is 6,000 years old and that that's what the Bible teaches. And then they uh, get some new information about like how to read Genesis or something like that. And it just doesn't like that. They're like, oh, this doesn't make sense anymore. Or they learn something new, right? So you hit that point. And at that point, there's one of three ways that we sort of move. We either one, just sort of like opt out of the whole program that we're like, this messes everything up. What I've understood is built on a it's a house of cards and it's just all falling apart. Or we regress, we move backwards and we regress either by kind of doubling down on where we were and we become, in Jesus' words, twice as much of a son of hell as like we used to be. Or we move backwards and we actually regress, but we have flipped our um, our understanding. And so the number of people I've seen who hit this point and move from being a a conservative fundamentalist to becoming a progressive fundamentalist is enormous. And really you haven't actually matured. All you've done is it's a different side of the same coin. Um, But a friend of mine, I love what a friend of mine says. He says, I didn't shift. My faith journey wasn't from conservative to progressive. It was from closed to open, which I think is actually a much better picture of the indicativeness. You're not necessarily like progressive isn't further along in the journey but open is further along in the journey. So the way that you actually move forward is through a contemplative journey. And this is one of the reasons that we miss this is because we think it's an intellectual journey. We think that it's like a do more journey. We think it's a push harder journey. And it's actually, uh, it's actually an interior journey where you, you don't actually move to the more mature stages of faith uh, without first kind of um, Henry Nowen would talk about we talk about owning your belovedness and seeing yourself as the beloved of God. And what begins to happen is you go through an interior journey where you move to that place. And then what you are doing flows out of that. So the way that you're living, what your faith looks like flows out of that. So what my encouragement would be is, is one is to like find some wise guides 
because one of the things happening in the in the sort of like um, the zeitgeist of what the deconstruction movement is right now is that we have a lot of people who are in the same place that you are trying to lead you through it. And at one level, like I'm grateful that people are being open and vocal about that for folks, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like if in your church, you have a small group for young couples and they're all having kids and they're all trying to figure out together how to raise kids. And you're like, Hey, what if, what if we had somebody who's a bit older who like was in there with you all, who's been through it a bit so that you all aren't like, you're not the first ones making this up. Right. So there are wise guides, people who have been through this before that we need to lean into and pay attention to. And so don't just pay attention to your peers, like look for the spiritual directors, look for the people who have this gravitas and groundedness. You're like, oh, there's something that's there. And they have probably been through this. That's why that's why they're on the other side there. Um, so I'd say look for wise guides. My other word is to pay attention to what is providing you stability, because what provides you stability will allow for flexibility in other areas. So here's what I mean by that is in the evangelical tradition that I had been a part of for a long time, what was supposed to provide stability was a certain set of beliefs. So as long as you can check off all the right boxes, that provides stability. And what that did is it actually allowed for flexibility in other areas. So we might have flexibility in like characterological development, that it's like, how many times has somebody said, that guy's such a jerk, but he's such a good Bible teacher, right? Like we, we've we experienced that in the church, and that's because he believed the right things. That's That provides stability. So we allowed for, we allowed for him to be uh, somebody who is a jerk because we could have flexibility in that area. I would actually argue that Jesus teaches on this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, talks about having a kind of life that can withstand the storms and things that come against it. And so he talks, he gives that parable of wise man builds his house on the rock. And here's what he says is, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man. So whoever hears these words, is the Sermon on the Mount puts them into practice, actually practices those things. So the stability is by practicing the way of Jesus specifically found in the Sermon on the Mount, a way that moves towards enemy love, a way that moves towards... Um, trusting God as an abundant God who will provide for me in this moment, a way that like moves in these, these sorts of ways where I'm not seeking retribution, where I'm being transformed in an interior way beneath the surface that ends up working itself out, uh, practicing the way of Jesus, which will then allow for flexibility in other areas, which allows for flexibility and belief. And so our, our whole faith structure doesn't come collapsing because we're asking questions about beliefs that we've held on to. Because what's providing stability is not that I believed those certain things. It's that I'm practicing the way of Jesus. And so it allows my belief system to grow and change and evolve over time. So I, I would encourage that. And I would encourage if you're a church leader, like don't be afraid of people who are asking those questions. And one of the one of the issues that's happening right now is that church leaders are reacting with fear. And it's causing people who are genuinely trying to figure out what it looks like to pursue Jesus who like genuinely want to be a part of a church that does that, it's causing them to to leave those churches. And they may very well be like some of the great leaders of tomorrow for your church if you create space to help them have room to go through that journey. Mike, that was phenomenal. If uh, if especially a leader listening 
wants to dig into more of this or wants to tap into one of these clusters that you're still trying to facilitate and be part of this movement and conversation, maybe even or especially if they're feeling alone? Uh, how can they find you? How can they tap into this? How can they reach out to you? Sure. Yeah. I'm terrible at any kind of like marketing and stuff. So the best way is to just email me, mike at mikegoldsworthy.com. And um, and yeah, we'll get connected. We'll chat and see like how I can be helpful. Fantastic. He is on social, not the most active, but uh, <laughs> far more active than I am. So you, you might find him there as well. But uh, Mike, thanks so much for being here. Uh, this, I hope, is the first of many of these kind of conversations that we can have. I'm thrilled that I could uh, just expose you a little bit to our people and to the leaders in our network and uh, to reconnect with you and be part of your network. It's, it, it really does take a village to raise, especially these parents of these spiritual families. And uh, it's been neat to see uh, the spirit of God kind of unite our, our hearts and our spirits in that way. Oh, Jeff, that's so kind. Um, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing. So yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. And to all of you who are tracking with us, uh, appreciate you being here. We'll see you again in one week's time as we continue finding our way together. Take care, everybody. 